To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new podcast for you. So this week on Eastman's Elevated, I have on Bill Hines. I met Bill when I saw his giant bull on the cover of Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal. I uh, reached out to him, and we put together this podcast. I thought it'd just make for a, a an entertaining conversation, you know, about that bull and about some of his Wyoming hunting. So uh, he tells that story, and he's got some great insight into bow hunting. Uh, Bill just eat, sleeps, and breathes bow hunting just like the rest of us. So uh, it makes for a great conversation. I really enjoyed it, and you guys will enjoy it too. I want to thank our sponsors for today's show. I want to thank Sig Sauer Optics. I am so impressed by Sig Sauer Optics. Uh, uh, they're so crisp and clean, uh, such uh, great brightness and in low light. Um, they're just making great products. I'm so impressed. So uh, I'm using their binoculars uh, they've got their, their Zulu nines, uh, it's 11 by 45, just great light gathering capabilities, uh, good edge to edge clarity, super crisp. I mean, these things stand up to, to all the top brands for a mid-level price. It's just a great value for these optics. So, uh, I'm really impressed by those. Their new spotting scope is one of the best spotting scopes that I've ever looked through. I absolutely love this thing. Uh, so this is a, a an Oscar spotting scope. It's a 27 by 55 by 80 mil objective lens. Uh, this thing is so clean. I can really get back off the mountain and look at the whole thing from afar. That 80 mil is just so impressive what it'll do and what it'll reach out and you can look at. I know last year in Wyoming... There wasn't one buck that I spotted that I couldn't tell what it was. And I spotted some that were that were miles away. Uh, so just great optics. They build the best rangefinders on the market. Uh, I use their small handheld rangefinder. Uh, they've also got rifle scopes, and they have their BDX system. Their BDX system, it connects an app to your phone, to your rifle scope, to your rangefinder to tell you where to hold. And they all talk together. It's a, a really cool system, so make sure to check that out. And check out Sig Sauer Optics if you're in the market for any new glass. They're great. You can check out those optics at Sportsman's Warehouse. Sportsman's Warehouse has all the top brands, and they have a really knowledgeable staff in each department. So they have an optics department where you can look through these SIG optics, check them out. They'll let you take them outside. You can compare them to other brands that you're thinking about. And this really allows you to get a good feel for what the, the best item is. And I know when I was testing rangefinders, uh, you know, an archer has different needs for a rangefinder than a rifle guy. And so in, in archer, we need to be able to have a powerful laser to be able to shoot through grass. Uh, it's got to be able to shoot light and dark targets the same. Uh, it's got to be able to do incline and decline. And so, you know, it's really important to me to have a good rangefinder. And, and using a place like Sportsman's, I'm able to take them outside and test them and look through them, see how quick the reading is. It's so advantageous when you're buying gear or if you're buying camo to be able to try it on and see the fit. Um, you know, the fit is so much of the uh, the comfort and, and so much of the, the use of the garment that you buy. And so being able to get the correct fit, um, man, it just makes that, that, that your gear work. 
you know, tents and backpacking gear, you can look at it. You can touch and feel it. Uh, they've got backpacking, backpacking food there, stoves, fishing department, archery department, rifle department. Um, so if you're in the need for anything this fall, if you're on a hunt and you forgot something, they have multiple locations. So if you need something, uh, make sure to check out Sportsman's Warehouse. And with that, um, make sure to check out Beyond the Grid. Uh, Dan Bacar, I just did a podcast with him um, a day ago, two days ago. It's kind of a blur now at this point, but a great podcast. I'll make sure to release it before elk season and probably before deer season as well as he gives some great information on deer season. But the Beyond the Grid this week has Dan Bacar shooting his biggest bull to date, Wyoming backcountry, horseback hunt. That that comes out Saturday you can watch it on YouTube. Just search "Beyond the Grid" and uh, pop up. Maybe, maybe look for maybe search Dan Picard's giant bull. It's it's such a pretty bull, but um, should be an awesome episode. We got some awesome episodes coming up. Uh, just released uh, one of my old hunts, a Wyoming high country mule deer hunt with my bow. Um, that was a great one, so you can check that out on Beyond the Grid, and then check out um, Eastman's Hunting TV on the Outdoor Channel. Um, also, uh, you can check out our internet research tool, Tag Hub. Um, right now, we're, we're continuing to do this giveaway where we're giving away a, a bunch of gear. It's $16,000 worth of gear that we're giving away uh, to members of Tag Hub, so you can check that out. And our magazines, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal and Eastman's Hunting Journal. Uh, I got a great article coming up in Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal about finding giant bucks, so should be a good one. Um, and with that, uh, let's get into it. It's Bill Hines. This is Eastman's Elevated, and I'm your host, Brian Barney. Okay, I'm live here. I got Bill on the phone. Um, Really good to connect with you, Bill. Congratulations on that that cover bowl on Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal. Man, I I love the story and the spread, and what an awesome bowl. Hey, thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. Yeah, excited to be here, and yeah, every time I think about that, about that day in that bull, yeah, it, it, it puts a smile on my face. Man, so so what a giant six points. So you're a Wyoming resident, right? Yes. Yep, and that was a an archery tag that you drew. Uh, was a 2019 hunt? Yeah, yeah, 2019 hunt, and, and that was actually an uh, over-the-counter tag. Oh, nice, Bill. Um, I always like to hear that. I always think quality critters and whether that's deer or whether that's elk they really do live all over and that's like the majority of places i hunt are low point or general draws or easy draw tags so that's good to hear that that such a specimen of a bull came from a general tag yeah you know t- typically that that area is not going to have a, a bull of that size and it was definitely like we couldn't believe it when, like, um, when we had seen that bull in there. Yeah, just a great, 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 great bull. Yeah, still, yeah, beautiful animal. Man, that thing had to take your breath away seeing him on the hoof. Bulls also look, uh, they look so much bigger on the hoof, don't they? Like an actual 320 or 330 inch bull is a giant bull. That's a giant six point. And so then when you start seeing those upper echelon bulls, like that bull you killed, uh man they almost look like cartoonish big don't they uh no question about it they they look they look almost strange just the like how big their their main beams go and when you see them next to um a 
again, a, an exceptional bull, like a 320 or 330 bull, they just, they, they look huge. Absolutely gigantic. I always say like for mule deer, like a 30 inch buck is a giant buck. But if, if he actually measures 30 inches, he, he probably looks 40 inches wide when you see him. They, they look absolutely massive. The, the guy that I do my hunting with during this, if you just hear me refer to Dan, that's, that's Dan Coulter. And he killed a, a great buck out of state that was a, I believe it was a 34 inch buck. And it, it legitimately, it looks fake when you look at it. It, it, it looks, it looks so wide, but yeah, Brian, what you're saying, you look at it, yeah, without putting a measuring tape up to it, you're like, yeah, that looks closer to 40 inches. It's, it's, it's <laughs> ab- absolutely incredible. Oh, yeah, you're so right. Uh, boy, what a thrill to get chances at critters like that. And they live, like I say, they live all over. You know, you killed it in a general tag. You know, most of most of my best or my best animals have came from general or easy to draw tags. And so there's there's good critters throughout. You know, it's just about like honing your skills and getting good at at finding game and locating game, and then giving yourself some chances and then. Hopefully you pull it together, but you had to think outside the box on that bull. So um, you weren't out there uh, uh, chasing bugles or calling. Like it, it seems like you really had to figure out what those elk were doing. Think outside the box to come up with a plan to harvest that bull. Yeah. So for, for the most part, um, you know, Dan and I, it, it's rare that that we ever bugle, and it's I would say we're, we're we almost like n- never bugle. We do a lot of a lot of almost spot spot and stock. Obviously, if you're getting a really thick stuff, you might have to um, you know make a call of some sort. We typically will call you know more with cow calls, just just to get that response back. But that area where that bull is that was you know was fairly wide open, and so you know there it was from the start going to be a, a spot and stock opportunity on, on that bull. Well, and I like hunting them that way too. Um shadowing the herd waiting for your opportunity to move in and 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 also i think for these you know higher pressure public land bulls and not that that bull was high pressure the unit you were hunting but any general area has hunting pressure but uh hunting hunting those elk as they get to that older age class they just get wise to the tricks you know they they not that you can't call a giant bull in because people do it every year and i would say the majority of elk are shot from being called in at least with a bow and arrow but i'm that same thought process as you bill where i don't like to let them know i'm there and and keep that element of surprise and shadow that herd and let those elk be elk and then really wait for my chance to to go all in and then make a play on them i I mirror uh, what you're saying that's typically almost identical what how, how dan and i hunt we just yeah, you know, we're, we're following that herd, waiting for, you know, an error mistake, you know, waiting for those, you know, cows to get in front of that bull a little bit. And then, you know, trying trying to split the difference between those cows and that bull. And eventually at some point, you know, that 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 bull's going to come across, you know, w- with those cows. And, you know, and I, I love it when, when they're not looking for another animal, you know, like when we're making calls to them and you know, when they're not expecting another animal to be there and, yeah, I, I love I love ambushing them and surprising them. Yeah, that element of surprise. Well, and this bull, like, uh, tell me again, Bill. Like, I remember, remember you ended up waiting at at water for like five hours for this bull. Tell me the story again. Like, how you located this bull and saw him go to water, or saw some other elk go to water, or how did you put those pieces together exactly? 
Yeah, you know, so um, morning starts off, and you know, we know forecast-wise, it's going to be flat hot. You know, the thing is going to be like low 90s that day. We figured our our time to see elk on their feet, you know, it's going to be be pretty limited um, in the morning. And our hopes were to basically find a bull that we wanted, bed them, and then just you know kind of take take the the rest of the day um, to to start start moving on that on the bull that we wanted, and we kind of climbed this a glassing point that we'll get up to and give us a pretty good glassing area. And really the morning kind of started off slow. We I found kind of a smaller satellite bull and um, Dan was looking back in this drainage and he's just kind of like, kind of like, Hey, like take a look at this bull. And, you know, there was so much from the heat, you know, you're getting the bulls far enough away. We're getting a lot of distortion already with the, with the heat signatures. And he's just this like, man, He's like those main beams look really long on him, but I really can't tell point wise, you know, what he is. And, you know, and I get behind a spying scope and I'm looking through it. I'm looking at that bull and, you know, kind of what Dan was saying is like, wow, those, those main beams look like, like really long on that bull. And, you know, our other options were, were pretty limited. And so we're just like, Hey, you know what, we need to move in closer on that bull. And, you know, it, if anything, rule him out. If, he, if he's not, not a bull, we're going to be after and um, so we basically started climbing. We, we got we got above that bull, and I don't know. We probably went maybe two mile two miles or so. And it, he he kind of laid down in some taller brush, and you know we started to break him down. And we're just like you know we're like wow we're, you know it's like that that's a that's a really big bull. And kind of the plan was you know um, we were coming from the east, the wind was out of the west, and you know I was just gonna kind of just just kind of start sneaking in on him you know just i you know time time wasn't going to be a problem he had he only had two cows with them and um and i i bet you a minute in that stock basically that bull just stands up and not that he is spooked or surprised or anything like that and, and he just started walk and he's on this trail and imagine there being two drainages and kind of like a, a finger splitting the two drainages I could see where that trail is going to be on. I was going to bring him around to the side of that other drainage. And I was on top. And so I was basically just going to get on the back side of that finger. And hopefully that trail he's going to walk on, I was going to wait till the wind was right and just kind of hopefully close that distance and have him pass me on that trail. And I go over the top kind of that other drainage. And I, and I just happened to glass across, you know, just to rule out if there are any elk in there. And also there's, it's a, there's a pretty big group of elk. And there's a another another nice six point in there. That other six point is probably probably like a three fifty bull, and just a you know just, just a gorgeous bull. But basically that stock immediately ended. I just kind of hunkered down. I came back a little bit. I kind of w- waved Dan back up, and basically that that initial bull we're going on. Brian, I, I don't know where he goes. He just he disappears somewhere, and I'm presuming you probably heard those elk and that other drainage in, you know, wherever he went to check out, you know, he, he kind of goes out of the country, but now in that other herd, it's like, there's like, there's another shooter bull in that other herd. And so we just kind of hunkered down. We started uh, watching that other herd for a while. We, we were, uh, re, you know, um, just kind of pounding the water. We, we were just sweating pretty good from climbing and we figured, you know, we're just going to basically just, you know, 
just watch that herd and just kind of kind of bird dog and where they had themselves positioned was just perfect for them you know what definitely was not good for us for a stalking opportunity and after you know a, a few hours um the uh it was very apparent like they were down like that bull was just tucked up in the shade and there was like no way that he was he was going to be moving it was just so hot outside and that's where also two cows left that group and also dropped down and probably i don't know maybe halfway down that drainage there's there's a water hole down there and and those cows hit that water and just shot right up to that to that herd and you know dan and i just kind of started brainstorming you know and we just kind of started putting the pieces together like there's really no other water around. And at some point that bull is going to come down and water. He's going to be up there, you know, being hot all day. You know, I think he, he was, you know, pushing cows a little bit that morning. You know, Dan, and I just decided, Hey, I'd drop down to that water and, you know, if he made his way down to that water, I'd make a play on him. Be a pop. Um, I'd make a play on him. And, um, so Dan was going to be, I don't know, you know, probably maybe 500 feet above me in elevation. So we were going to kind of be able to like kind of do hand signals if the elk started moving and that bull started coming down. And, you know, it took me a little bit just to, to you know, you know, staying out of sight and, you know, crawling at times to just to get down below and, and, and actually get in, get in and set up to that water hole. Um, when I got in that water hole, Again, I was on the east side of that water hole, and that wind was that wind was co- coming out of the west. And there was just this little finger that elevated just a little bit, and from that spot, it was, it was 50 yards to the far side of that water hole. And I, I got in there, and 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 like in my pack, and I always had like 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 a little saw in there. And I just kind of started just cutting. The time was on my side and I just anything that could make noise I just got it out there I just got nothing but dirt under my feet and then like kind of the sage and stuff I was cutting out I was just kind of blocking it up behind me just for backlighting you know kind of like a you know a trick you use like in a tree tree stand for like a white tail you're not getting backlit when you go to draw and um um you know obviously I get in there and you know I'm getting everything situated like maybe a little over the top but you know I'm I'm kind of practicing drawing, you know, making sure I'm not my clothing isn't going to get hung up on any stuff. And yeah, and I, I basically get into that, get into that blind, get situated like I'm feeling comfortable. The one problem with that blind is to my, um, kind of almost like, like northeast, I'm pretty visible, but at the time, I'm really not thinking that that's going to be like be an issue. Other than that, like I'm, I'm, I'm pretty tucked into that water hole. Um, so hours go go by and all of a sudden there was like a you know a spike a calf that had come down and you know i always like watching wildlife when they're not disturbed you know like get those calves in that water you know that calves in there he's just bouncing around you know he looked like a like a little you know like bucking horse in there you know he's just he's just kicking around and spinning i got some really good video of that and they kind of go back up and you know i kind of kind of look back look back up at Dan, you kind of signal like, hey, there's some elk, more elk coming down. Also, like another, you know, calf would come down. It was starting to get a little bit, a little bit later in the day, and all of a sudden there was a, a, a bugle, and this bull is coming across that, that drainage, and his, his line is, is going back up to, 
to like where where all those other elk are. And I look and it's that bull from earlier in the morning. And and I'm just looking at him, Brian, and I'm just like, that is a monster bull. And I I I tried cow chirping to him a little bit and like I got his attention. He was kind of, you know, making that 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 bugle that that an elk will make when he's kind of calling for the for the cows to come come to him to him it's kind of like a little bit a little bit a little bit short bugle that doesn't like really string out and obviously he's not seeing him coming to him and you know being a bigger bull he's just like you know like I, you know i'm not buying it and he heads up to where those other elk are at where those elk are bedded at like I, again i i i can't can't see them but when that other six point that was up there sees this other bigger bull come and they start bugling back and forth, just, you know, just screaming at one another. And that at some point that bigger bull gets up there and those, you know, two bulls, you know, you know, kind of straighten it out between them. Who's going to be pushing the cows that night. And um, the bugling kind of settles down and all of a sudden, you know, Dan kind of signals like, Hey, hey elk, you know, there, there's some more elk that are going to be coming down. And all of a sudden elk started trickling down and, you know, all of a sudden, some some cows started trickling down with some calves, and all of a sudden there's uh, some spikes. There's another like satellite bull that comes down. I can I can hear that bull bugling up above, and I'm like, okay, it's like that that bugle sounds the same as you know the bigger bull that that came across came across the drainage. And more elk start coming down, and they're just piling into that to that water hole in that. I can hear that bull. He's still up top, and also those elk kind of start trickling out, and now they're kind of going east, and now they're kind of getting into that spot I was trying to describe earlier, where I'm not I'm not that well hidden, and so I'm watching them, and also that bull bugles again. I can tell he's probably come a quarter of the way down, and also a, a little bit a little bit bigger of a bull drop dropped into that water hole. And more elk are kind of starting to trickle. I'm and I, oh Brian, I am just watching these elk come across, and I'm like, they've got to be within probably twelve to fifteen yards of my wind line. And, and in my mind, I'm just thinking, I'm like, that that bull cannot get here fast enough. I'm just like, it's with that amount of animals around me. I'm like, it's just a matter of time if that if that wind switches at all. And then that that bull, like he bugles again, and I'll. And, you know, okay, he's he's like three quarters of the way here. I'm presuming it's it's one of those big bulls. Like I still don't know what what bull it is. And again, these these elk are just starting to you know I probably have 25 elk within oh shoot probably 40 to 45 yards of me, and none of them are paying any attention to me. And they're just you know kind of trickling out. You know like you know they're coming coming out. Um, you know they're gonna, you know they're gonna, and also I, I can actually hear that bull um coming before he gets to the water hole, like vis, 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 like visibly where I can see him, I can hear him breathing. It's just that really loud deep until he's he's closing the ground now to catch up with his cows and mouths and stuff like that, and just those deep breaths. And I mean he just starts screaming, and oh I wish I could have that part on audio because it was it was incredible. I mean. A bull that close, just screaming. I mean, it's it's like you know, I swear you can almost feel like like, like you know the the air shaking from how loud he is. And uh, so 
that bull comes down and all of a sudden I see some elk kind of like like flying out of that water hole and it's like that big bull's there and he just comes crashing into it and I literally it was like a you know he did like a cannonball in there I mean you see like waves come across that water hole and all of a sudden he steps into sight and Brian I remember being like seeing him that close I was like oh my goodness like this is a smoker bull like this is probably the biggest bull that I'm gonna have a chance at chance at at my life and he gets into that water hole and he's and he's like just he's kind of slightly quartering towards me but his head is kind of facing away and he's just in there bugling and and I look to my right and all those elk are are kind of that have kind of fed up and worried about my wind line are kind of looking back at him and I remember when I went to draw like I, I wasn't even looking at you know, I basically cleared to make sure the bull is looking at me, but I was looking at all those other elk, and I basically was able to get the full draw, and not one of them even remotely picked up on my movement. And I turned back and looked at that bull, and and uh, he, and that, that that bull sitting there at at, at 35 yards, like I had ranged the like the closest part of the water hole, the middle part, and then the farthest part of that water hole. And Brian, like literally on cue, that bull turns broadside. I'm sitting there at full draw and in my mind, it's, it's one of those shots where it, it's such, it's such an easy shot, but it's such an easy, easy shot that you, you know, in my mind, I'm like, like, Hey, you like, you, you, re- you really need to focus it, you know, like, you know, even though this is an, e- an easy shot, like you really need to concentrate on this. And Brian, like on cue, he like clears his front shoulder. And like, I, I just, I, I couldn't believe it. And I, uh, yeah, I let that arrow go and, I mean, you know, the release felt good. You know, my bow caught up on, you know, was free on catching up on anything. I know my arrow made it through the window that I made clearly, and it just smacks that bull. And he goes flying out of that water hole, and, you know, all the elk are, you know, kind of in panic. They don't know what's going on. Just that that big bull kind of moves. And that big bull runs out, and he, I don't know, he probably runs 70 yards and just stops. And I can just see, like, the blood starting to form, like, like right behind that shoulder. And I was like, Oh man, I'm like, I, I just tendering the, probably the, the best caliber of animal that, you know, that, that, that I'll ever not kill kill my life. And, um, so I'm sitting there watching that bull. The elk are just kind of watching him. Also, he starts getting wobbly and just piles over. And all the elk go flying out of there. And I remember just, uh, at that time, you know, like I, I keep pretty calm during my shots and, and finally, when that bull went down, it's kind of like, almost kind of like when the adrenaline hit, like, like, holy smokes, you know, you, you just smoked a big bull. And I remember I looked back at my, to my binoculars at Dan, like up above, up above me, watching down. And it was like the celebration began. Oh, it was, man, Brian, it, it was pretty awesome. And I, uh, you know, I, I, I walked out to that, to, to that bull and Dan started hiking down, um, with his pack and, you know, I, I was looking at that bull and, you know, when you look at an animal, typically, you know, on a, on a deer or something, you're, you're like, okay, his D2s are a little small or, oh, his main beams are, are not, you know, I wish they were a little bit bigger. And I'm looking at this bull and there's just nothing small about him. And, you know, I like, I mean, he was just, oh, like what a, what a bull. And then Dan got down there and, you know, obviously we're high-fiving and stuff and, yeah, I remember us talking about like looking at that bull and just being like, you know, we were figuring he was probably, uh, you know, like, 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 a, you know, like a, now maybe like a three, three high three sixty, three seventy type of bull. And when we really started looking at him, we're like, gosh, it's like, man, I think he's going to go bigger than that, you know? And, 
yeah, and sure enough, you know that that bull ended up going, you know, uh, to uh, up in the, you know up in the three eighties, and and uh, you know, I, just still in disbelief, Brian. Like it, it was one of those hunts where, in archery hunting, it seems like you get those days where nothing nothing goes right. It's like this day, everything went right, and and you know, like I said, I you know, I just sat there, I just you know, but, but thank, thank God for that awesome night, this awesome trophy, and yeah, just just being out and having the ability to, uh, to hunt and, 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 and harvest an animal like that. I was just, just absolutely ecstatic about it. Man. Yeah. How cool, Bill. Like, like that's, that's what we all live for. We've found that, that, um, you know, that adrenaline rush that you get, it's like nothing else on this planet, you know, it's, um, especially when you put so much into it and you want it so bad and it's so difficult. It's so challenging. Like you say, how many days does one of those details go wrong and the whole scenario is blown up and your chance at a 380 bull gets blown because one of the cows catches your wind down in there when she filters down in. But, you know, it, it, it's really all those, those slight or those, those little details that come together and it comes down to making the right decisions and having good instincts and then, you know, when it does come together like that, it, it does feel like it's meant to be. But it is just making the right decisions in the right moments and then having that animal make the right moves. But you did so much right there. Um, so starters, it sounds like you got a really good hunting partner in your buddy Dan. It sounds like you know you guys are able to, to hunt together well and then share informa- information, theorize about what the elk are going to do. Every guy kind of makes his move, and some days it's one guy's chance. Some some day it's the other guy's. But it's so cool when you can work out this good hunting partnership between a really good buddy like that. Absolutely priceless, isn't it? You know, Brian, hands down, like like Dan. Dan is like you couldn't ask for more. Like in a hunting partner. You know, for one, like, uh, you know, value-wise, we have very simil- similar val- values and beliefs on stuff. And then when it comes to hunting, um, you know, I, I, I think we we drive one another to, you know, to to achieve and, you know, look look broader, you know, try to try to hunt smarter. And, um, you know, the thing is with Dan and I, you know, we're very competitive, but not competitive with one, one another. Like it's, it's kind of like it's us against the animals. And, you know, if, if Dan knocks a, a bull down or I knock a bull down, you know, we, you know, like when we talk about it, you know, it's like, you know, Hey, we knocked this animal down. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give an example on that. A couple of days after that bull, um, we, we were all chasing, chasing deer and we found, found this, this beautiful velvet buck. And, uh, you know, uh, Dan made a, uh, great stocking on that buck and, and hammered him at like, at like 45 yards, just a beautiful velvet deer. And again, you know, it's, it's watching him do that. It's, you know, I, I feel, you know, I'm as excited as him killing it as me killing it, you know? And like I said, it's, it's awesome having a, a great hunting partner. It makes, you know, it, um, it hands down, it, it makes all the difference. And I have no doubt, like I've, I've killed animals because, because like, like Dan has been there, you know, like I said, we, you know, we, we work very well together. And, you know, like I said, we, you know, 
we know what each other's thinking. And like I said, our, our hand signals and stuff are guiding each other into animals and stuff like that. Like I said, it, it makes all the difference having a, a, a great hunting partner like that. Man, it sure does. Um, yeah, it's a great way, like a great way to approach it. Like, uh, one guy's success is the other guys and you, you almost have to look at it that way too. Um, and, and I like how you're competitive and you guys want to harvest game animals and you want to go hard and push hard. Like I, I think of me and my buddies when we go out, it's that same way, but it is uh, one guy's success is everyone's success. And, and you definitely, for all his effort, you know, I want him to get his stocks and get his chances or his opportunities. And, and then as that stock progressed, like I thought it was neat, like like the details of you know where you set up in that spot in there of clearing that brush or anything that'll make noise. Just paying attention to all that, drawing your bow, and and then again it just comes down to those nuances of that stock. Like having those elk all around you and not moving, that thing could have blown up at any time. Remain calm, remain motionless, and just waiting for your opportunity. And then that that bull gets in the that wallow. And uh, so much of that game is won and lost, like when to draw your bow. And and I've made that mistake countless times. Uh, the bull's broadside, he's in range, or the bull's where I want to shoot. But, you know, you have cows looking at you, and you try to draw anyways. And then the cows bust, and the bull busts, and you don't get a chance at him, you know. And so those little details there, I always think it's good. Like the patience that, you know, that you showed on that that hunt waiting for that bull to get the right angle and then he took a step forward where you could really place your pin in there like those details and being patient and waiting for that right angle it's absolutely key like uh, i have a hunting partner dan that i hunt with a bunch and just recently i harvested a really good black bear and uh, he went with me on the stock and was behind me a lot of times he'll be videoing or um range finding this time we just both went on the stock and you know, I just trust that Dan's going to make the right moves and freeze behind me. But I waited for that bear. I had that bear in range for five minutes, and I had him at 40 yards, and I had some quartering toward shots. I drew on him once and let down, and he just had no idea I was there, and he fed around. But just waiting for that right broadside or quartering away angle, just waiting for that. And sometimes it blows up and you don't get it. But that patience of waiting for that angle and then putting that arrow right where it has to be, it's so key. And, and I also like your perfect shot on a bowl. Like it's 35 yards. A lot of times those easy shots, you know, they're also easy to miss. You know, easy shots because you don't execute correctly because it's so close it feels like a gimme. But elk, they're a big target, but I really think like – Elk are so extremely tough, and all us elk hunters have learned this, you know, either through our buddies or through our own experiences, that if if you don't get a good shot on those bulls, you know, it's a very low chance that you're going to get that elk. They're so extremely tough, so you have to put a perfect shot on them. You have to get lungs, heart, or liver, or they don't die. And so it's real easy to aim for the body, but on elk, I am so precise, and I wait for just the right angle because I know there just isn't that – much margin for error on those big animals. So, so much you did right there, Bill. It's just such a great story on a giant bull. And it's just the accumulation of all your hunting skill over the years, like just honing those instincts to, you know, to do those little things and make that move, think outside the box to get down to the pond where he was going to go water. Like just all those years of gaining all that information paid off in that, you know, on that one hunt for sure. Yeah. You know, Brian is, uh, 
Dan and I typically, we always start our kind of our hunting season off with, with antelope hunting, which is, you know, typically August 15th. And, um, that August 15th season is nice because hunting season always comes so fast. Like the summer just flies by and like, you know, that's something Dan and I always talk about where, you know, it's, you know, basically, you know, the middle of June right now, but I, you know, I swear it feels like in three, you know, it feels like three weeks and you're already at, you know, the hunting season, you know, starting, which for us typically is August 15th, but kind of where I was going with that when, when I was sitting on that, that elk hole over water, I, it literally reminded me of sitting for antelope over water. You know, I, I, I really did not know how that was going to, to, to play out. And yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it was just, yeah, it was just kind of, kind of funny sitting there just, I don't know, like I said, almost using, using antelope tactic, antelope tactics for elk. So yeah, 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 yeah pretty funny. Uh, just like you, I love to antelope hunt. It it opens up here August fifteenth. It's such a great learning tool, training tool, and and they might be the funnest hunt all year because you get a lot of experience. I always tell guys like get those those high those high opportunity hunts where you get a lot of stocks and antelope. Like they've honed your skills as well because I know they've honed mine. They're so good at catching you that you learn what you can get away with and what you can't, what movements you can get away with, what you can't, what you can get away with with your bow or your limbs or how to move slow. And they bust you just time and time again. And so like like uh, you, you just learn what you can get away with and, and what you can't. And you transpose those same skills into all these different animals that you hunt. And so, you know, you – you warm up on those antelope and you get some stocks, you make some mistakes, and then you take that skill right into elk season. It really feels like you're firing off all cylinders. Uh, you're comfortable with being in bow range at that point with the excitement and things. And so uh, I'm with you, Bill. I don't think there could be a better warm up for a big game hunt than like an antelope hunt August 15th. I think guys really have to take advantage of that. Yeah, agreed. And what you're kind of talking about just like by uh, learning from mistakes and that I remember I, I, I grew up in Wisconsin hunting whitetails. And then when I came out here, I, I come out with the military, like in the mid nineties. And, um, and I remember coming out here and Brian, my mind, like my mind was blown. I remember just getting in the base and there being antelope in, in, in absolute disbelief. And then all of a sudden you start throwing mule deer and elk on top of that. And obviously if you want to get into the, you know, the bigger animals like you know the sheep the mountain goats and the moose and stuff but on you know for the for the mule deer the antelope and the elk i gotta tell you those first few years wow was that a learning curve i i i could not believe the amount of mistakes and errors that i made just you know trying to trying to stalk these animals and obviously you know I'm, i'm very meticulous and i remember mistakes like that and just obviously you know over time you hope that you don't repeat mistakes but yeah i i agree with what you're saying it you know getting in these hunts that give you more percentages and stuff more stocks and that that you can cut like cut your teeth and on stuff like that will hands down benefit you later on in your archery career and and, and like i said oh when i first came out here man did, did I, I flat messed up on some animals oh <laughs> yeah I look back at, you know, back in that kind of seemed like that mid to late nineties for me, at least that that's when I truly saw big mule deer and, Oh, Brian, did I mess up on those big mule deer? Oh, I, I look back at that and it just makes me sick. I, I would love 
to have some of those opportunities now that, you know, that were presented to me back in the nineties completely frustrating. <laughs> oh, I feel your pain. Yeah. I think, um, I think all of us make a lot of those mistakes and yeah. Uh, some like, I re, I remember too, when I, um, when I moved to Montana as a kid and, and just immerse myself in, in the outdoors and, and bow hunting these animals. And, you know, I, I just didn't have the discipline or the knowledge, the experience. Um, you know, I had to, I had to learn all that and had to learn it all the hard way. You know, there, there wasn't podcasts or books, you know, a few magazines out, a couple books, you try to read and absorb any information you can, but a lot of it was just out there trial and error. And, and like you, I wasn't good at judging or scoring, but, but, you know, back in the day, what I used to see here running around Montana, it was, it was crazy some of the bucks that I messed up on. And I know, you know, some of those bucks nowadays, you know, like I was messing up on 180-inch deer. I was messing up on, on bucks that would go north of that and making major mistakes, you know, in my execution or um, in my stock or um, on elk too, big bulls make mistakes. But you just learn from it and try to get better. And it's not that I still don't fail. I, I still fail a lot. I still make mistakes, you know. And sometimes, it, you know, we're not meant to win every time, you know, we're not meant to kill every big buck that we find or every big bull that we find, like they're really good in their habitat and they're really good at outsmarting us. And so, you know, there's a lot of years we're all scout a next level buck and, you know, I, I may get a stock on them. Sometimes I don't even find them again from scouting or I do find them again and I, I get, you know, a play on him or maybe even two and it doesn't come together and he disappears into secondary living and can't relocate him. Um, but it's part of the fun and you keep honing those skills and getting better and better at your craft at locating, reading wins, you know, planning your stock and then making your stock really good at your execution when you do get an opportunity. Um, and, and then it just starts coming together, it seems, but it, it sure is a fun journey, isn't it? Absolutely awesome. Like I said, I I would say hunting is is about my only vice, and I like I can't get enough of it. And um, you know, Dan and I have a saying that mature animals have a way of finding a way to live. And whether it's you know how they position themselves with other animals that you know that they're bedding down with for the day and stuff, but it I I, I can always accept if you know if the wind swirls. It's like, Hey, that's out of my control. Or, you know, or you're, you're sitting on, on a big buck and he's got, you know, I swear, you know, they'll, they'll have like always like a small, you know, a smaller buck with them. And that smaller buck is like always getting up during the day and feeding and, and moving a little bit. And, and at some point that smaller buck just, you know, catches your wind or yeah, all of a sudden, you know, he's been up long enough. He, he picks you off. And even at that, it's, it's so frustrating but I, I can accept that. Yeah, when I when I really beat myself up, it, it's like when when I make a mistake that that was within my control and you know and and it didn't happen again. Whether you know they, I don't you know you 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 go to draw and you know you get picked off drawing. You know like when I make when I make an error like that, oh man, I I I definitely beat myself up a little bit. <laughs> it's tough not to. Um... Yeah, it's it, hindsight's twenty twenty, and you always—I always look back and think, "Oh, I could have done this different." Or even if I got winded, I think, "God, I should have known that that cloud cover and that I should have known that that 
wind was going to swirl in that drainage. You know, I I always try. I'm always trying to figure it out and get better from it. But yeah, you're right. Like those. While we're honing our skills, you know, it's survival for those animals out there. And every year they survive, every hunting season they make another one. You know, they're surviving a bow season and a rifle season, a migration, mountain lions for the entire year. Like, uh, so, so they're evolving their skill set as well and their instincts. And they do. You're right. Mature animals just have a knack for making the right moves. I can put myself in bow range of them and just waiting for a shot and waiting for him to clear. How many times have all the hunters that are listening just need that bull to take one more step, you know, and he stopped behind a tree. Like they just have a knack or almost like a sixth sense for, for just making the right moves. Um, but that is the fun. And, and it, it is crushing. Like when you mess up a stalker, the worst is to, to mess up, you know, an execution on a shot or, a lot of times it's just details. You're in the fog of adrenaline and you don't get a good range or you decide you're going to guess at it because you need to shoot right now or, um, you know, there, there's so many things that can go wrong in that moment. And when you're in the fog of adrenaline, you're pretty – like you've got this 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 one-track mind. Like uh, all of a sudden you're not as good as picking up all these little details that you would be like on a 3D range shooting at a target, missing limbs and – and you got to be careful not to try to force it in there, not try not to try to force it in too tight of a window of limbs. Like really wait for him to expose himself. Um, but it, it's exercising those patience, and you just learn over time. You make a mistake, and it crushes you. Like you said, when it's in your hands or you mess it up, you know it. Like you beat yourself up over it. Well, it, you you also remember that the next time around and and don't make that same mistake you know like you really learn from that when you when you make one of those hard mistakes like that and i find on a stock too like most of the time i know better if i make a mistake and an animal catches me i knew better or if i'm making a play on an animal and i and i think oh I can probably move right on the edge of this timber instead of circling all the way around. It's going to take me another 30 minutes. And I sneak that edge of the timber and I get caught or I get busted. It's like, oh, I knew better. Uh, or, you know, the final approach on that deer, really taking it slow, staying to the shadows, not exposing myself. It, it seems like most of the time now when I make a mistake, it's like I, I know better. And so for me, I just try no shortcuts. I don't try to force anything. And I really try to take what those animals give me because a lot of times you can be frozen on a stock from a cow elk or from a, you know, like you said, one of the smaller bucks has you pinned. Um, the bull I shot last year in Montana, like uh, I worked in and the satellite bull was at 50 yards and I had to just sit there for half an hour and then that bull got up and left and i crept in tight to the herd bull in there he bedded back down and it was like two and a half hours i had to wait for that bull to stand but i finally shot him right there and i couldn't move any closer because i could see the cow's faces through the grass and i could see the bull and i had him at like i can't remember exactly now but right around 55 60 yards like that two and a half hours i waited for him to stand but it it's just um you just kind of learn to to move real patiently but but it's a thin line too. You also have to know when to close the deal too. You have to know when your opportunity is there and try to seize it. So it's a fine line making those decisions. But uh, it's just so fun when you do get those opportunities at critters, and especially on one of those big critters like that big bull. I just love like matching wits with him, or like that's the fun of it for me is to see if I can go get close to him, see if I can go make it happen. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And then on. 
just a little backstory too in that bull in 2018 we're, we're pretty certain it was the same bull just because just because of the um, again in that that area that we're in there's just not that that caliber of bulls in there in in 2018 dan snuck in on a bull we, we were guessing he's probably like, like mid 360s and crawled in on this bull and he's he's down with with cows and you know dan crawls in about 45 yards and sits on that bull for like two hours and then finally that bull stands up Brian, and just goes as straight away as straight away could be and just basically just drops over this edge kind of starting to push his cows not that he was spooked or anything like that and it's just you know again one of those deals where you know dan did everything right sneaks in you know unannounced to the elk and he's just waiting on that bull to stand up and when he does he basically he could stand almost any direction besides straight away from him like you know D- dan's gonna pound him because you know you know you know dan really doesn't miss when, when when he shoots and you know again it's yeah just one of those instances where obviously you could look at it from the standpoint of well hey that worked out because the next year he grew you know grew bigger and he ultimately ended up get, getting harvesting but I remember like when that happened, like that, that was a hard pull, a hard pill to swallow. Like, you know, when, when that, when that bull did that, oh yeah, it's just, it's just, again, it's amazing how those bigger animals like find the knack to survive just on very random, random things that, that, that happen when you're in the field. Yeah. It's crushing to, and to get so close, it's so difficult. And then to have it slip between your fingers, but he made the right move. And then, um, you ended up harvesting them, man. It's so cool. Like, uh, and 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 sounds like you get to to hunt multiple species. So you take part in antelope, and then um, come into elk season, and then uh, mule deer as well. And then this year you have a sheep tag. Congratulations on that. Oh, Brian, thanks. You what know, a dream. I... <laughs> you know, I so I I had the points to that tag was, was pretty close to being guaranteed this year point wise. And, and, you know, I, I waited, waited 21 years to, to, to get that tag. And, um, and it's kind of funny, you know, every year that goes by, like I, you know, historically I haven't, I haven't drawn a ton of tags, but Brian, I am still a sucker for when those dry results come out. Like, I am there opening it up, you know, just, you know, basically I know it's going to say no, but you know, I, again, I, I'm still the sucker for that, for the anticipation, you know, that goes for, you know, like, like, you know, uh, drawing out of state too, you know, to, you know, j- just with the hopes, you know, you're going to sneak in on that, you know, like on that crazy draw. And it was, it, it was kind of, so leading up to that draw, um, you know, I, I've been following, you know, like the sheep trends in Wyoming and the areas and stuff like that. And if I could re, re, uh, rewind time to when I first got to Wyoming back in the mid nineties, when I started the the preference point system, I remember um, not putting in for sheep and in my mind being like, well, who wants to shoot a sheep again? You know, I, I'm, I'm coming from Wisconsin out here without, again, at that time, the magazines and the internet and the understanding of how, significant a sheep tag is when i got out here i i was like oh man i i want to draw a moose you know that was my priority was to was to put in draw moose and i remember after being out here for a couple years and then realizing the significance of a sheep starting to put in for sheep points and you know here i am 21 21 years later getting that sheep tag oh i brian i wish i could go back in time 
and have just put in at that initial point um, when the draw started, just so, you know, like a couple of those premium areas in Wyoming, like area 12, you know, area 17, something like that. You know, I, I have, I have no chance in my lifetime, you know, being, I think I'm about four points behind max on, on sheep of like drawing a tag like that. So then you start breaking it down saying, okay, I'm accepting the point that I'm not going to one of those premium areas, but there's a couple other, other areas that are still producing, you know, nice sheep. And then breaking down the, um, of those areas, like, Hey, what, what's going to be my, my best opportunity, you know, breaking down the, the harvest data, you know, and the, the measurements of the Rams and stuff that are, um, coming out of buddy of mine, he's got a, a taxidermy shop. And so like whenever sheep are coming in there, you know, you know, he's never telling me the, the spot they come out of, but he's like, Hey, you know, that, that, that Ram came out of area five. Hey, that Ram came out of area three, and just kind of tracking it, um, like that. So, and then, you know, prior to that, you know, I was on the phone, like with, the with the sheep biologists, like up in, you know, Cody and Jackson and picking their brains on, you know, where they would feel the, you know, where the better Rams are, are coming out of, but then on top of like being better Rams also kind of like, Hey, what's going to be the best, you know, wilderness experience and, you know, uh, hunting that, the country and that, and then reaching out to other people that have drawn, you know, sheep in that area. Um, another buddy of mine had drawn a, uh, a sheep tag in that area last year. So having that resource of being like, Hey, is this a spot where I should burn my points on? Cause I, I'm doing this as, as a once in a lifetime hunt, you know, I'm, you know, expecting that with the time I'm going to have to sit out after drawing the tag and then with point creep and that, that like, you know, and, you know, obviously hitting a, you know, sheep, sheep tag is, you know, typically uh, uh, less than a percent that it's like, Hey, this is a, this is a one-time deal. So, you know, I want to make sure everything's right. And then it, it was kind of funny when I, when I, when I had drawn the tag, when I actually got the notification, the draws draw was out. Like I wasn't, Cause you know, I guess I had the understanding that I was going to be getting that tag off the points, but so I wasn't like crazy excited as if like I would have hit it like, like in the random, you know, if I hit in the random, you know, I, I probably would try doing backflips, you know? And, uh, so then once you get that tag, it's, it's kind of like, Hey, congratulations. You've got the tag, but then it's the, the realization of, Oh, Hey, I've got this tag. Now this is going to be my, you know, my, my one shot at a sheep. Now it's like, okay, now I've got to break down the area specific to where I, where I want to get to. And obviously, obviously it becomes a problem of how do you get there? Cause you know, we're going to be packing in, you know, more equipment than what we would on just like a, you know, just like a, like, like a back country hunt, you know, we're going to be, you know, in the middle of grizzly bear country. So you, know, you start talking about, you know, Hey, okay, bringing in a, a bear fence, you know, adding that additional weight. So then it's like, all right, how are we going to get from point A to point B? And, obviously that that's really big country up there and you know we're talking significant miles getting back into spots but the the elevation changes is is through the roof um you know so yeah yeah we're actually gonna um you uh use llamas brian um to to basically get that get that weight off of our backs and on the end of the line is in and use them to uh uh you know, to get back into where, you know, to where we are anticipating, you know, ha- having our camp back in a certain drainage. Man, good for you. Way to, way to be creative to, to really think how you can big, 
can get back in there and be effective. Um, man, what an awesome opportunity. Uh, like you say, you put in your years. Uh, sometimes those decisions early on affect us later. Uh, it's funny, just those four years, and you could have been putting in and maxed out for points, but um, it, it it always happens for a reason, and you have a sheep tag in your pocket in a, in a good unit. Man, I bet you're... You're so excited to to cut loose in there and go check those things out. Have you started scouting for him yet? Yeah, you know, so I, I would say the more um, scouting at, at, at this point has been more on maps, you know, you, you know, on your, you know, your Googlers, your, your Onyxes, and that obviously with um, the, the people that I, that I guess I've reached out have been in that area and then you know lining up what they're having to say with kill data and you know one of the big things like in, in those sheep areas you know sheep are probably going to be in a different spot at the end of october than what they are at the beginning of september so you know really focusing on okay this spot is obviously where they're transitioning to you know either for pushing down for you know for for breeding purposes or for snow purposes and you know there's kill data saying, hey, these sheep are getting getting knocked down here at the end of the seasons, but it's like we're basically going to be in there, you know, almost, you know, uh, two months earlier. So really focusing on on kind of that that earlier time when we're actually going to be in there. And um, yeah, you know, but yeah, like absolutely to to get up there, you know, you know, maybe like in uh, late late July, early early August, and you know, seeing if we can get get a better handle and see if there's their sheep in, in the drainage to where, you know, to where we're wanting to go. And then on the backside of that, Brian, I mean, you could get in there and there might not be sheep in those drainage. And it's like, okay, what's plan B, you know, what's plan C. And again, to, to move camp up in that kind of country at that elevation and stuff like that, you know, I mean, it's, it's definitely going to be, take some effort. So, we're, you know, we're really focusing on hopefully getting, getting, making the, the, the right choice for our first choice. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, like I said, it's, it's exciting. I, you know, I can't wait, you know, yeah, Dan, Dan's going to come up there, um, uh, with me and yeah, I, man, I, I sure hope we can get it done. Man. Crazy. Cool. Uh, well, yeah. And, um, like you said on these mountain hunts, you know, like the way I hunt mule deer, heck the way it, you know, we hunt elk, but especially on a sheep hunt or a goat hunt or something of that nature, you know, it's just a, um, it, it's not going to be the miles that gets you. It's that elevation. It's just constant climbing day in, day out, not one day of climbing, but multiple days of climbing. Um, well, what are your plans for preparing yourself to get ready for those climbs? Because it sure makes it more enjoyable when those legs are ready to climb. So you have the llamas to take some weight off. Uh, you going to use his scouting trips in the summertime to get your legs ready? Yeah, you know, definitely. I mean, there's definitely something about, you know, when you're actually climbing a hill with weight on your back, that, that that's hard, that's hard to replicate. I mean, obviously you got your stair climbers, your stair mills and that, um, you know, Dan and I keep pretty fit, you know, uh, year round. And, um, you know, my, my biggest thing, like I'm, I'm, I'm a skinnier guy. So my biggest thing for me is, you know, typically my cardio is, is always good, but my biggest thing is actually getting like, you know, like what I, you know, I just have my pack and I, I just, you know, I put like, I'll get like, you know, like 60 pounds in it and just, and just basically climb with it 
to really try and get my, you know, kind of like my, like where I really feel it is in my hips and, and to basically get, you know, like kind of, kind of get my, like my, my hips used to that, to that heavier, heavier pack load. And, and yeah, so, you know, I would say that that's, that's, I, I know that Dan, Dan's doing that, doing that already too. But yeah, I would say primarily for me is, is, is getting a pack on my back and, and just getting, getting used to that, you know, just that, that constant, that constant pack weight on you and, and, and not just, you know, walking on flat ground, but actually, you know, on stair climbers or, you know, actually going to the, to, to the hills to, to climb. Oh, you're spot on. You can just tell you're a mountain hunter and have been for years. And I know you've gone on a, a ton of mountain hunts, but I, I know, you know, every year I just, um, have to make sure that I've got my body ready because I enjoy it so much more when I can really climb like that. So yeah, I'm the same way. Big mule deer hunts coming up and, um, you know, for me, it's not the miles that are can, that are going to get me. You know, I know I can do a, a marathon or an ultra marathon, so I don't even count my miles anymore. Like I don't, that's not how I add my accumulative work for the, for the week. Like I count my elevation, you know, every day I'm running, I'm running elevation. I'm running up and down hills. Cause I just know that's the key to mountain hunting is being able to climb day in, day out. And, and you're right. Nothing, you know, nothing trains you for the mountains like the mountains. And so I'm constantly running, you know, to the closest mountains I can get to up on the peaks, high elevation. And then I also liked what you said, that pack work is really important. And, and may, we all have different body types. Like you run really skinny. Like I, I kind of run like a, uh, a more of a bulky build on me, even for being a runner and, and, and doing so much work, you know, every week. But, you know, I, I run a little bit bigger, but, but it's so important to get that weight on my back. Like you said, get that 60 pounds, that 80 pounds on my back and go climb with it, you know, and it just kind of, uh, you know, running works my legs and I can get good workouts and my legs are ready for the mountains. But if I'm not used to having that pack on and having that pack strain on my hips and on my back and pull on me and my bino harness, like, uh, you know, I can be in a world of hurt that if I neglect that part of it. So I'm with you, I think getting that pack on the back and, and walking that mountains and, and really I use a lot of these summer scouting trips too, where it's just a weekend bonsai trip, like in your country down there, which uh, your guys' deer tags haven't come out yet. I'm I'm hoping I just get extremely lucky down there. But scouting for those deer, just able to put in a bunch of miles, you know, way up at that above timberline and those those scouting trips, those three four day bonsai trips, just cover uh, a tons and tons of elevation and so many different basins and drainages and looking into them, just trying to look for that that next level buck and and that really helps get me in shape and also get like you just get used to camping in the mountains, living in the mountains, get used to riding out storms. Like it's just a good warm up for hunting season. It seems for me. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I totally agree. And you know, there's definitely when you get back into the backcountry and you're like, like sleeping, living in the backcountry. Like, you know, it, it's it's de- it's definitely different. You know, than your than than your normal day life and just getting that you know, the, the, the mental acceptance of, Hey, you know what, this isn't going to be ideal, but you know, Hey, you know, we're not going to be up here for, you know, for, for crazy times, you know, Hey, we're looking, you know, being up here for, for two weeks and just, you know, just, you know, just accepting, Hey, whatever gets thrown at you, you know, gets, gets thrown at you. Um, you talked about like your, 
going in like for your backcountry mule deer hunts, Brian, like, like what are, what are some, I guess when you get back into some of those basins, are you looking more just more for, Hey, there's a shooter buck back there. Or are you looking more for, Hey, there's, you know, Hey, in this drainage, there's 180 inch deer where, Hey, there's probably going to be a lot of people back in their hunting, but Hey, I know this other drainage where, Hey, you know what? There's, that there's like a couple, you know, mid, mid 160 inch bucks, like what, wh- like what drainage are you going to favor to go into? And, and like, what are some of the things like you're looking for, like when you're going after the, after some of that backcountry mule deer? Yeah. Good question. Um, so yeah, it's like every piece of country is a little bit different and, um, you know, I definitely don't like the high pressure spots and I've been burned for them by them before and, and not just finding, you know, 180 inch buck, but finding a, a, a 200 or a, a really giant buck in there, but you know, there was a horse trail back in there. So you get in there and find people and then, and then all of a sudden, you know, I've got to go to other places. But what I'd say I'm really looking for when I'm scouting is I'm, I'm trying to find these drainages that these deer like, and, and I'm not trying to find, you know, I'm trying to look for a big deer that I can maybe target that's in that next level, but I'm also looking for just good deer that are hanging in basins and drainages and gaining knowledge about the country. Um, you know, I would say, I would say my favorite would be to find, you know, a tucked away drainage where I really don't think there's going to be much pressure. And I find 180 and 190 inch deer in there, hundred, you know, like a, like a really big deer that's living in there. I know he won't be pressured and I know I have him to himself, but I'd say, you know, mainly I'm just trying to get a feel for the country. The deer have their red coats on. Uh, they've got these lax summertime attitudes, and so you can really glass up a lot of deer. You can glass them up throughout the day. You don't just have to sit on a spot morning and night. And, and so I'm just covering country, and I'm looking in these drainages, and I'm looking for next-level bucks, but I'm I'm really just looking for the knowledge too because once hunting season comes – these bucks are nowhere near as easy to find, you know, even during the bow season, but then come into the rifle season and you hardly know where these deer live. It's like you're starting over. But when you get this, this summertime information of this range and you cover 35 miles of range and you know, you saw a good buck in this drainage and there's eight in here and there's a good shooter over here, you know, then from there, you know, I've got all these options and then I can start to develop my, my plan for season. But even if I find a giant buck, I, I don't go back in and look at that buck and watch him. Like I kind of know he's in there and I'm going to go hunt him, but I keep looking for more country and different deer. Um, you know, and a lot of times I'll have two, three, four shooters marked that I'd, that I'd be super psyched with, with hunting. And then also, you know, some backup plans that are, you know, really solid 170, 180 inch deer. And all depends where I'm hunting too. Like, uh, in, in some places, uh, you know, like the Nevada tag I have this year, like I'll, I'll be really psyched if I can find 170 inch deer in there, like they exist in there and there's some bigger ones and I hope I can find them. But you know, it, you, your, your expectations kind of have to match the country that you're hunting as well. But I'd say that's kind of my approach, but, but it's just always different. Um, you know, I don't have like one hard rule, you know, I just trying to get up into country. I'm trying to learn country, learn where bucks like and then try to use that information to build the best plan and backup plan I can. That's a good way going in. Cause yeah, cause it, it's amazing how fast when that actual hunting season arrives, just how much stuff can change, you know, with the, you know, 
it seems, you know, you get those, you know, typically here in Wyoming, you get the first six days of September where those, those deer are still in velvet. And then after that, that velvet gets stripped, you know, I, I, I swear they, 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 they like tree up more and they just, yeah, it's just funny how their, you know, ha- habitat changes a little bit. And, you know, I, you know, and even getting to the point of, you know, we know that velvet's going to be, be, be coming off, you know, like right in that time period. And, you know, typically around that, almost that, that fourth through the six while their horns are still white. Yeah. It's always a little bit easier finding a, a, a white object through a spotting scope, you know, with those horns before they get darkened up, at, you know, as opposed to, you know, you're looking at that, you know, that brown velvet that I, I swear like matches in with everything. Um, but yeah, we're, we're kind of the same way. You know, we t- try to locate, you know, a, a, hand, a handful of, of different deer that, you know, are deer that, um, are deer that we're wanting to, to harvest there in that, that right age class and size. And, and yeah, and, you know, you know, kind of um, push forward with that. And, you know, kind of what, what you're saying with Nevada, you know, you're, you're extending your hunting season, you know, going to a, a, another state, you know, which, you know, that's another thing that, that we really started doing was, you know, you know, uh, hunting, hunting other states and, and basically extending your hunting season, you know, instead of, you know, just having, hunting, you know, only in September, you know, and all of a sudden, well, now if you could extend it out through August, you know, hunting through, um, September, and then obviously, and then some little states, you know, have that, that really late season, you know, where you can actually, you know, be hunting, hunting mule deer up on their feet during the right, during archery season, which, you know, we, I, I, I love that time of year, which is great. And then also some of the states that offer even the, the, the December, you know, uh, archery hunts or, you know, where you're getting in there and, and, you know, still, still chasing deer around in, in, in December. Like I, I really like the idea of, of extending your season out, extending your opportunities out. And then again, the opportunity, you know, just that many more opportunities of locating that, that next age class of deer, you know, like that, that, that 190 inch deer you're talking about. It's like, you know, that, that it doesn't get a, a whole lot better than that. Um, yeah, I, yeah. Chasing it, chasing big, big deer is, 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 is pretty awesome. Oh man. Yeah. It's as good as it gets. Uh, I love chasing those big deer. Um, and, and the stock is way different on a mule deer than it is an elk. It seems like elk, you play pretty aggressive and you're always going, you always try to get into them where a, a muley stock's more methodical and really planned out and slow and precise. Um, but I, yeah, I just love that high country muley game. And, um, you're absolutely right. Like, uh, you know, taking advantage of what these other states have to offer. And it's a, it's an opportunity for us blue collar working class guys, you know, to go have a super adventure in another state for a few hundred bucks, you know, and, and being able to camp out or go explore, you know, all of what the lower 48 has to offer. And yet, you know, throughout the years, I've just structured my life to where I pretty much get to bow hunt from about, you know, August through January, I've got a really good New Mexico tag or they have Arizona desert tags in January. You can hunt mule deer and, um, all, you know, all kinds of opportunities throughout these Western States to hunt different seasons. So, uh, we're, we're definitely fortunate. And, um, you know, I hear about the good old days, but you know, I, uh, you know, for me right now is the good old days. Like it's the time where I'm in my prime and, um, I can go, go do these adventures, train for them and, push myself and, and challenge myself. And so, um, man, I just love it. I'm, I'm with you, Bill. I'd try to take on as many, as many of these adventures as, um, as I can fit in, in a season. So it's going to be a fun year. I'm really looking forward to fall and, 
Sounds like you've got some awesome adventures planned. You going to be able to to hunt mule deer and elk as well with that sheep tag in your pocket? Yeah, you know, you know, like like Dan and I have talked about. Um, you know, the sheep is definitely gonna is gonna take the the priority. Um, I know Dan's going to um, uh, bring his bull back in um, on, on that sheep hunt for in, in case we do come across like a, a big elk or a big mule deer. You know, kind of up in that 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 high country, which you know I would I would anticipate that uh, that happening. Um, but yeah, you know we're we're going to focus on the sheep. Obviously we get up there and there's an, just, just a smoker deer or elk, you know, it's kind of hard to, you know, you know, to walk away from, you know, a, a you know, an animal that's, you know, like visible to us in front of us and, you know, and, uh, you know, to, to not take advantage of that opportunity. But, um, but yeah, you know, I, you know, being optimistic, I'm, I'm hoping we can get that, that, that sheep down in the first, you know, like 10 days of September. And then, you know, get done with that and then you'll know, come down and, and, you know, then, you know, come after our, our, our elk and deer, um, you know, and then that'll kind of take up our, our, our Wyoming time. And then, you know, Dan's got a, he, he pulled a, a deer take down in Colorado this year. So, you know, we'll spend some time over there and then, you know, a, a, another state or two, you know, we'll, you know, spend some time in, and, you know, like uh, November, November and December time frame. But again, I, obviously everything again pivots back to that to that sheep because obviously you don't get that sheep down we're gonna have to 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 get back up and you know go back up into that high country and you know continue chasing that a ram you know potentially potentially you know through through the end of october if we don't get it done early september but in, in a perfect world we get back there you know you know uh you know knock a nice knock a nice ram down and then kind of continue on with our normal um september hunting that we do so man how cool what a fall well bill i've really enjoyed getting to meet you congratulations again on the the cover of that that eastman's bull on that sheep tag um you got to come back on and tell me about your sheep adventure maybe i'll get you on after season and uh you can tell me about the entire season but uh, i'm really psyched for you man what a great opportunity i know you've been putting in for a lot of years so um how cool soak it in and enjoy it Hey, thanks, Brian. Hey, thanks again for, uh, yeah, for having me on. Like I said, I, yeah, you're great, great bow hunter. And, uh, yeah, thanks for, yeah. Thanks, uh, Deesman's for, for, for that cover that, that, that definitely made my day when that came out. But, um, but yeah, yeah. And Brian, good luck, good luck to you through your season. And yeah, hopefully start it off, start it off good with your, with, with your uh, Nevada tag there in, in, in August. Ah, oh, thanks, Bill. I appreciate it. We'll keep in touch. All right. Take care. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Fun conversation with Bill. That guy's a go-getter. I uh, just love all the the passionate, you know, do-it-yourself bow hunters that are around and, and just all the different conversations that I can have with them. Um, but, yeah, just uh, uh, some great insight there, great bow hunter. Thanks again to Bill for being on the podcast. Also, uh, thanks to our sponsors for today's show, Sig Sauer Optics. Again, I'm super impressed. Binos, a spotting scope. Uh, rifle scope and then their range finders and then you can also get that bdx system that speaks between all of them also i want to thank sportsman's warehouse so nice to have a place where we can go in touch and feel see the garments we're going to buy try them on uh, they're just a, a a great resource 
especially if you've left the house or you need something new. I know uh, my buddy Dan had never glassed from a tripod with his binos, and uh, we stopped down there on the way to one of our hunts, and he picked up a bino adapter so he could um, glass off his off his tripod. So they have everything you need. If you're missing something for this year's hunt or just need a new piece of gear and upgrading, uh, go check out Sportsman's Warehouse. Uh, check out everything we have going on over there at Eastman's. And uh, with that, I'm out of here on my hunt. Uh, got this podcast done. So as you guys, as this is released, I'll have Scott release it next week. I'll be in the backcountry uh, chasing some bucks. Couldn't be more excited. I released a solo podcast. Well, I haven't yet. I'm I'm going to as soon as I get done with this ending on this podcast and I load it up. But uh, it's Friday, so release this solo podcast all about early season hunts. And uh, I got some great ones coming up, some great guests, and um, got a few banks so I can uh, go chase my dreams in the mountains. I absolutely can't wait. I'm so ready. Uh, gear's pretty much together now, so um, I'm getting closer and closer. Uh, it's Friday night tonight, and then I leave tomorrow, Saturday. This will be released to you next week. So, um, man, uh, go get after it, guys. Uh, the mountains are out there. I can't wait for the challenge. I can't wait to push myself. I uh, can't wait to find bucks, make stocks, have my bow in my hands. just doesn't get any better. So, uh, good hunting, guys. Keep working hard towards your goals and um, make this season a reality. And with that, I will check in with you next week, hopefully with a big buck. Um, we'll, I'm, I'm going to try my best, that's for sure. So check in with you next week.